You can't be neutral on the moving train. I told y'all before. You can't believe everything that your teacher tell you. Who is your teacher? Your teacher just learned what they was taught. How do you know what they was taught was correct? And that was Vinnie Paz with an excerpt from Writings on Disobedience and Democracy. Welcome to You Can't Be Neutral. This episode of You Can't Be Neutral is also a special episode of my other podcast, People Are Revolting. You Can't Be Neutral is a political podcast inspired by Howard Zinn and progressive and radical activism, taking a look at society, media, and politics. Can go to the website youcan'tbeneutral.com. There you'll find all the back episodes and some links. There's a link there to send me a message and a link there to make a donation. You can make a one-time or recurring donation to keep this podcast free and independent. In addition to this podcast, You Can't Be Neutral, I have a couple other podcasts that I release. I have a music podcast called Polyrical that comes out periodically, and I have a podcast about protest called People Are Revolting, which comes out daily. It's a shorter form podcast focusing on a specific story of people protesting or acting out uh, in support of or in opposition to a cause or an issue. The amount of protest that has exploded around the world since Israel's latest attacks and bombing on the people of Gaza has been incredible. Um, th- this whole entire past week, my daily podcast, People Are Revolting, has featured a story of one of these protests. And as I've been you know, going through the news and collecting other stories of similar protests, I've just found that I've got dozens and dozens of these stories because there are dozens and dozens of spontaneous and um, uh, planned protests on this issue um, that have have sprung up suddenly in in reaction to the the terrible actions on the ground and and I guess in the air um, in Gaza. Just the sheer amount of actions happening all around the world on this issue pretty much demanded that I cover a, a lot of these stories in, in one place um, to both get a lot of coverage done at once as opposed to um, the People Are Revolting, which is, you know, a small small bit every day, um, to really capture the, the magnitude of the reaction to Israel's latest crimes against the Palestinian people. These actions and these stories have been collected over the past week and a half or so. Um, Some of these stories will have facts and figures embedded in the stories that may have been accurate at the time they were written, but certainly won't be accurate today, especially if they're in relation to uh, numbers of casualties, um, but I, I will cover them as they were written, uh, knowing and letting you know up front 
that there will certainly be some information here that will be out of date. Getting Us Started is a piece published at jewishcurrents.org, written by Raz Siegel. On Friday, Israel ordered the besieged population in northern half of Gaza Strip to evacuate to the south, warning that it would soon intensify its attack on the Strip's upper half. The order has left more than a million people, half of whom are children, frantically attempting to flee amid continuing airstrikes in a walled enclave where no destination is safe. As Palestinian journalist Rueda Kamal Amer wrote today from Gaza, quote, Refugees from the north are already arriving in Khan Yunis, where the missiles never stop, and we're running out of food, water, and power. The UN has warned that the flight of people from the northern part of Gaza to the south will create devastating humanitarian consequences and will transform what is already a tragedy into a calamitous situation. Over the last week, Israel's violence against Gaza has killed more than 1,800 Palestinians, injured thousands, and displaced more than 400,000 within the Strip. And yet, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu promised today that what we have seen is, quote, only the beginning. Israel's campaign to displace Gazans and potentially expel them altogether into Egypt is yet another chapter in the Nakba, in which an estimated 750,000 Palestinians were driven from their homes during the 1948 war that led to the creation of the State of Israel. But the assault on Gaza can also be understood in other terms, as a textbook case of genocide unfolding in front of our eyes. I say this as a scholar of genocide who has spent many years writing about Israeli mass violence against Palestinians. I've written about settler colonialism and Jewish supremacy in Israel, the distortion of the Holocaust to boost the Israeli arms industry, the weaponization of anti-Semitism accusations to justify Israeli violence against Palestinians, and the racist regime of Israeli apartheid. Now, following Hamas's attack on Saturday and the mass murder of more than 1,000 Israeli civilians, the worst of the worst is happening. Under international law, the crime of genocide is defined by, quote, the intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group as such. As noted in the December 1948 UN Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. In its murderous attack on Gaza, Israel has loudly proclaimed this intent. Israeli Minister of Defense Yoav Gallant declared in no uncertain terms on October 9th, quote, We are imposing a complete siege on Gaza. No electricity, no food, no water, no fuel. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals and we will act accordingly. Leaders in the West reinforced this racist rhetoric by describing Hamas's mass murder of Israeli civilians, a war crime under international law that would rightly provoke horror and shock in Israel and around the world, as, quote, an act of sheer evil, in the words of U.S. President Joe Biden, or as a move that reflected an, quote, ancient evil, in the terminology of President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen. 
This dehumanizing language is clearly calculated to justify the wide-scale destruction of Palestinian lives. The assertion of evil in its absolutism elides distinctions between Hamas militants and Gazan civilians and occludes the broader context of colonization and occupation. The UN Genocide Convention lists five acts that fall under its definition. Israel is currently perpetrating three of these in Gaza. One, killing members of the group. Two, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group. Three, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. The Israeli Air Force, by its own account, has so far dropped more than 6,000 bombs on Gaza, which is one of the most densely populated areas in the world. Almost as many bombs as the U.S. dropped on all of Afghanistan during record-breaking years of its war there. Human Rights Watch has confirmed that the weapons used included phosphorus bombs, which set fire to bodies and buildings, creating flames that aren't extinguished on contact with water. This demonstrates clearly what Gallant means by act accordingly, not targeting individual Hamas militants, as Israel claims, but unleashing deadly violence against Palestinians in Gaza as such, in the language of the UN Genocide Convention. Israel has also intensified its 16-year siege of Gaza, the longest in modern history, in clear violation of international humanitarian law to a, quote, complete siege in Gallant's words. This turn of phrase that explicitly indexes a plan to bring the siege to its final destination of systematic destruction of Palestinians and Palestinian society in Gaza by killing them, starving them, cutting off their water supplies, and bombing their hospitals. It's not only Israel's leaders who are using such language. An interviewee on the pro-Netanyahu Channel 14 calls for it, called for Israel to, quote, turn Gaza to Dresden. Channel 12, Israel's most watched news station, published a report about left-leaning Israelis calling to, quote, dance on what used to be Gaza. Meanwhile, genocidal verbs, calls to erase and flatten Gaza, have become omnipresent on Israeli social media. In Tel Aviv, a banner reading Zero Gazans was seen hanging from a bridge. Indeed, Israel's genocidal assault on Gaza is quite explicit, open, and unashamed. Perpetrators of genocide usually do not express their intentions so clearly, though there are exceptions. In the early 20th century, for example, German colonial occupiers perpetrated a genocide in response to an uprising by the indigenous Herero and Nama populations in southwest Africa. In 1904, General Lothar von Trotha, the German military commander, issued an extermination order justified by the rationale of a race war. By 1908, the German authorities had murdered 10,000 Nama and had achieved their stated goal of, quote, destroying the Herero, killing 65,000 Herero, 80% of the population. Gallant's orders on October 9th were no less explicit. Israel's goal is to destroy the Palestinians of Gaza, and those of us watching around the world are derelict in our responsibility to prevent them from doing so.
and people around the world are watching and are responding. Um, you know, people uh, at a distance have less direct uh, ways that they can have a positive impact here. But raising one's voice, being public, being visible, finding opportunities to talk about what's going on, to make other people aware of what's going on is one of the ways that we have from a distance to have some kind of positive impact. And as I mentioned from the start, these voices have been diverse, have been widespread, have been loud and vocal, and surprisingly are being covered by mainstream media, although often covered in a, a very slanted and very negative way. Uh, there still is coverage. It is one of the biggest public displays of protest over an issue since the U.S. war with Iraq after 9-11. Um, and it, it's not been the only one. It, it The protests around global warming and the climate crisis have also been extraordinarily widespread. Um, but, but this one has surprised even me, someone who, who pays attention, who watches, you know, protest movement that's happening out there. This piece is from NDN Collective, published at ndncollective.org. Following an attack by Hamas that resulted in what Representative Ilhan Omar called, quote, the brutal slaughter and hostage-taking of innocent civilians, including women, children, and seniors, Israel officially declared war on Hamas. Since then, Israel has issued orders for 1.1 million Palestinians in northern Gaza to immediately evacuate and has cut off all vital supplies to the area. 4,200 people have been killed in Gaza, including nearly 500 in a single explosion at a hospital this week, with many thousands more injured. More than a million people have been displaced. In 2022, the U.S. committed over $3.3 billion in foreign assistance to Israel. 99.7% of that aid went directly to the Israeli military. People across the United States and the world have been rising up and demanding an immediate end to the war. On Monday, over a dozen U.S. representatives introduced legislation calling for a ceasefire. In response, NDN Collective released the following statement. Quote, in every indigenous language in the world, there is a word meaning we are all related. We are in a critical moment where we need to call upon our indigenous knowledge and act upon that worldview, treating everyone as relatives. This moment requires us to act upon our values so that a history of genocide does not continue to be repeated. We firmly believe that we all deserve to live and die in peace whenever death comes for us. We mourn the lives already lost and feel dread knowing that many more will die. This is why we must rise up now and hold the U.S. government accountable in the funding of and profiteering from this war. 
We are horrified, enraged, and grief-stricken that the reality of Israeli and Palestinian lives lost so quickly and with such force. We decry the collective punishment of the Palestinian people, including 2.3 million in Gaza, who have lived under Israeli blockade and siege for 16 years. We pray for the safe return of the Israeli people held hostage by Hamas. We stand in solidarity with those, including many Jewish people, who have been protesting the occupation of Palestine for years and who are now on the streets demanding for Israel to stop their attacks. The immediate solution to stopping the genocide is a ceasefire. Both Palestinian and Israeli people deserve leaders who prioritize their safety and human rights. We recognize that Palestinians are a diverse people. Hamas, a right-wing religious fundamentalist group which suppresses dissent within Gaza, is only one faction. Hamas does not represent the Palestinian people any more than Netanyahu government represents Israelis. The Israel government response to trap, starve, and kill the people of Gaza, nearly half of whom are children, is monstrous. As indigenous peoples who carry hundreds of years of state-sponsored genocide on our backs and who have been dispossessed of our lands, languages, cultures, and identities by nation-states, we know that settlers fight with both weapons and words. They spread insidious narratives to trick people into believing that state violence is both necessary and justified. We must reject these lies at every turn. We must center humanity and harness the moral strength to hold multiple truths at one time. Settler colonialism is at the root of the violence in Gaza. A ceasefire, an end to the U.S. funding Israelis' military, and true Palestinian land rights and liberation are the path to peace. Indian Collective calls for the following. 1. An immediate ceasefire. 2. To immediately allow life-saving fuel, food, water, and supplies into Gaza. 3. The deployment of wide-scale relief, recovery, and refugee support efforts. 4. An immediate end to the United States government funneling billions of dollars to the Israeli government to fund weapons and military escalation. NDN Collective endorses planned rallies in Washington, D.C. and calls for continuous uprisings until a ceasefire takes place. In March 2022, NDN Collective released a position paper on Palestine. The right of return is land back. In May 2021, NDN Collective called on President Biden and the U.S. Congress to pull back support for the Israeli government following an Israeli escalation of lethal force against Palestinians. Next up is a piece published at varsity.co.uk. This piece written by Eric Williams. Over a thousand student and staff are demanding that Cambridge, quote, sever financial ties with Israel. As Palestinian students delivered a widely signed open letter to the vice chancellor this morning. The open letter, which has almost 1,500 signatures, is also demanding that the university change its public position on events in Israel and Gaza to acknowledge Quote, the slaughter of innocent Palestinians. Authored by the Palestinian Solidarity Society, or PALSOC, the letter has several other demands. 
Here are the key issues that have been laid on the vice chancellor's desk as pressure mounts from pro-Palestinian students and staff. Publicly denouncing slaughter of innocent Palestinians. The university's current position acknowledges the loss of innocent lives in Israel, but only the impacts of escalating violence in Gaza. This wording has been condemned by the letter signatories, who claim it is passive phrasing, making Cambridge complicit in the dehumanization and vilification of Palestinians. Instead, the letter is demanding that the vice chancellor acknowledge the, quote, slaughter of innocent Palestinians and denounce the inhumane measures imposed on Gaza by Israel. Israeli airstrikes have been hitting Gaza for 13 days now and a complete siege has blocked the Palestinian enclave's access to water, electricity, food, and fuel. More than 3,700 people have been killed in Gaza over that two-week period. One Palestinian student from Palsoc spoke to Varsity saying, quote, There is not one Palestinian I know who is not either personally related to Gazans or within two degrees separation from someone who has been killed, had their home destroyed, or been displaced. I hope the university is able to see and recognize the grief and stress this war has put on its students. They continued. The demands by pro-Palestinian student and staff come in the wake of the university changing its position last Thursday to explicitly condemn the Hamas attacks in response to an Israeli student's open letter. The October 7th attacks by Hamas, a Palestinian organization of Islamist militants, killed 1,400 people in Israel. Hamas is designated a terrorist group by Israel, the United States, the EU, and the UK, as well as other powers. And something that's rarely mentioned in the media um, in reference to Hamas is Hamas is also a political organization that was elected by Gazans in the last election there. So while Hamas does have a military wing that is prepared for fighting and, and carried out the actions in Israel on October 7, Hamas is more than just its military wing. Students and staff are also pressuring the university to assess and sever all financial ties to the Israeli government. Citing UN Special Rapporteur Francesca Albanese's recent warning that Israel is on the verge of committing mass ethnic cleansing, the letter outlines a list of war crimes done against Gazans as justification for university divestment from Israel. The open letter mentions Cambridge's severance of financial ties to the Russian Federation after the invasion of Ukraine as precedent for this kind of decision. In March 2022, Cambridge publicly released and largely brought to an end its connections with Russia through university endowment fund investments, research funding, donations, and academic partnerships. Both the Russian Federation, Russian organizations, and Russian individuals were considered in these evaluations. Over the past year, pro-Palestinian student societies have criticized university connections to companies involved in Israel's military operations. Israeli armored vehicle manufacturer Plasan and more well-known corporations like Boeing, BAE Systems, and Caterpillar have been among those mentioned. Speaking to Varsity, the open letter's author suggested that these should be included in any potential university evaluation. Next up is a piece written by Jad Khalil, 
published at vpm.org. Hundreds of people gathered Thursday near Virginia Commonwealth University's campus for a vigil commemorating Palestinians killed during Israel's recent military offensive and decades of occupation. Students and others came to Monroe Park carrying Palestinian flags and wearing kafeyas, a traditional Palestinian scarf. Participants largely stayed quiet and lit tea lights that were placed in a ring around the fountain in the center of the park. More than 4,000 Palestinians and more than 1,400 Israelis have been killed since an October 7 attack by the militant group Hamas, which controls the occupied Gaza Strip, the Associated Press reported Friday. It is the latest surge in violence between Israelis and Palestinians since the Jewish state was formed in 1948. Speakers from VCU's Palestinian Student Organization and Richmond's branch of the American Muslims for Palestine called on students to stay active in their calls for a ceasefire, as well as the end of Israel's occupation. Quote, We are complicit as a country in apartheid and genocide. Either we stand up for the human rights, or we don't, said Zaid Madawi, president of AMP's Richmond branch. Israeli and international human rights groups have said Palestinians living in territory occupied by Israel suffer under apartheid. The 2002 Rome Statute defines apartheid as, quote, an institutionalized regime of systemic oppression and the domination by one racial group over any other racial group or groups and committed with the intention of maintaining that regime. The truth is coming to light in a way that has never happened before. The occupation can no longer keep misinforming the American public, said Madawi. He asked participants to attend upcoming protests this weekend in Washington, D.C. and Richmond and maintain the momentum in person and online. The U.S. sends billions of dollars in aid to Israel every year, and the administration is currently proposing an additional $14 billion to help with air and missile defense systems, the Associated Press reported. That needs to come to an end, Madawi said, of the annual aid. At VCU, many students did not want to speak to the media, some even covering their faces when in view of cameras. Across the country, students have seen job offers rescinded or their identities publicized on mobile billboards after signing statements supporting Palestinians. Madawi also criticized public statements by VCU President Michael Rao, saying they've made students feel unsafe. Senator Mark Warner and other elected officials also have used terms like barbaric when describing the Hamas attack. I came out because I felt it was important not just as a person, but as a friend of people who are from Palestine, said Ashley Brown, a VCU student who said her Palestinian friends have been talking about the occupation for years. It's hard to say, but the United States should not stand up for a genocide. What is happening in Palestine is a genocide. Here's a piece from BrightonandHoveNews.org, written by Joe Wadsworth. Scores of pro-Palestinian protesters held a rally outside Peter Kyle MP's office today, demanding he back calls for a ceasefire. About 60 demonstrators, including some former Labour members, expelled when Jeremy Corbyn was leader, waved flags and chanted, Long Live Palestine. They also stuck a letter on the window of the Hove MP's office signed, The Residents of Brighton. 
The protest was one of several held by Palestine Action across the UK. Protesters expressed disappointment that Labour Party leader Sir Keir Starmer failed to recognize, quote, international war crimes committed by Israel. In an interview with LBC in the wake of Hamas launching a murderous assault on Israeli civilians, Sir Keir had appeared to suggest that Israel has, quote, the right to withhold energy and water from Gaza. But Sir Keir argued on Friday that he had intended to say that Israel has the right to defend itself and retrieve the around 200 hostages being held within international law. Ahmed Ali, an asylum seeker whose family is still in Gaza, said after the Hove protest, quote, I urge Peter Kyle to call on the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak to condemn Israel's war crimes, put pressure on Israel to call a ceasefire, and for them to facilitate humanitarian aid entering Gaza. I need them to ensure that my family and my people will survive. Dan Hadley, doctor and MedAct Brighton co-coordinator, said, quote, There has to be a ceasefire and humanitarian access right now. But for such atrocities to never happen again, Israel also has to end the siege of Gaza and the occupation of the West Bank for good, tear down its apartheid walls, and respect the right of Palestinians to return to their homes and live freely. Mr. Kyle said, quote, the actions of Hamas on Israeli people was truly atrocious. I, along with my colleagues in the Labor Party, unwaveringly support Israel in their fight against Hamas terror. However, all actions of self-defense must be carried out within international law and must not target civilians or the health workers that are providing them with much-needed critical care. And here's a short piece published at Saba.ye. Tens of thousands of Jordanian citizens in all governorates of the kingdom participated on Friday in the angry marches and vigils in support of Palestine and support for Gaza and to denounce the ongoing Zionist aggression against Gaza. Local media reported that a massive march began in front of the Al-Husseini Mosque in the capital, Amman, and included thousands of Jordanians who denounced the Zionist aggression against the Gaza Strip and expressed their support for the Palestinian people in the face of the Zionist war machine. The participants chanted slogans expressing their solidarity with the people stationed in Al-Aqsa Mosque and the defenders of its sanctities, stressing that these crimes are repeated and desperate attempts in the face of the steadfastness of the Palestinians. The demonstrators called on the international community to take quick and urgent action to provide international protection for the defenseless Palestinian people and to put pressure on the Zionist enemy to adhere to international resolutions. And from MondoWeiss.net, this is an open letter from CUNY faculty and staff. We, the undersigned CUNY staff and faculty, strongly object to Chancellor Felix Matos Rodriguez's efforts to censure expressions of solidarity with the Palestinian people. In advance of anti-apartheid rallies planned on multiple campuses, the Chancellor claimed that the organizers would, quote, glorify Saturday's violence and celebrate the killings, injuries, and capture of innocent people. This baseless prejudicial statement reproduces the racist Islamophobic rhetoric that has accompanied the drumbeat for war. 
in preemptively withdrawing support from a whole subset of students, staff, and faculty. He has sought to suppress dissent at a time when the university, a public university and the largest urban university system in the nation, should be fostering open, critical discussion. This is not the only time that the Chancellor and other CUNY administrators have scapegoated Palestinian solidarity activism. Last week, Brooklyn College President Michelle Anderson capitulated to Councilwoman Ina Vernikov's demand to ban a Students for Justice in Palestine rally from campus. She informed the community that she had, quote, increased campus security and encouraged students to not come to campus. When the rally went ahead off campus, Vernikov attended it with a gun clearly visible. These actions make a mockery of the free speech and academic freedom commitments these university leaders claim to uphold. In rejecting all criticism of Israel, CUNY administrators are not only at odds with Palestine solidarity activists, they are also against the consensus opinion of regional and international human rights organizations that Israel is an apartheid state and a state that systematically violates international law. This is in no way to condone the death toll of the last 10 days. There is no justification for the targeting of civilians in any context. And there is also no equivalence between the October 7 military operation by Hamas and the subsequent military attack by the Israeli state, and certainly no equivalence to the systemic and the violence of Israel's settler colonialism. Israeli state violence has defined Palestinian life in Israel, the West Bank, and the Gaza Strip since 1948. The dispossession of Palestinian land by ever-expanding settlements, the construction of Israeli educational institutions on settlement land, the routine incarceration and killing of Palestinian protesters, the eviction of Palestinians and destruction of their homes, and the gunning down of Palestinian and Palestinian-American journalists are but a few examples. The Gaza Strip, described by Human Rights Watch as the world's largest open-air prison, has been under Israeli blockade since 2007. Everyday life for over 2.4 million Palestinians in Gaza, 55% of whom are children and more than 70% of whom are refugees, is crippled by restrictions on access to food, water, medical aid, electricity, and basic life necessities. Israel's attacks on Gaza in 2008-2009 2014, 2021, and 2022 have resulted in the killing of almost 4,000 Palestinians. Over the past few days, the situation has worsened considerably. Open calls for the outright elimination of Palestinians are echoing in the United States and abroad. Israel continues its indiscriminate bombing of civilian spaces, homes, schools, universities, hospitals, ambulances, and has cut off the supply of food, water, fuel, and medicine. In just the past week, over 3,000 Palestinians, including more than 1,000 children, have been killed in Israeli air raids. This collective punishment of civilians, whom the Israeli government has long dehumanized and now describes as human animals, is illegal under international law. Now in preparation for a ground invasion of Gaza, more than half of its residents have been ordered to evacuate. More than 600,000 Palestinians have been forced to leave their homes at least once since October 7, according to the Palestinian Health Ministry. Many are calling this forced displacement a second Nakba that echoes 1948. 
As CUNY staff and faculty, we applaud all those in our community who refuse to remain silent in the face of an impending genocide. We stand with them in opposition to Israeli occupation, apartheid, and war crimes, and in support of Palestinian liberation. We bear witness as CUNY administrators have caused students, staff, and faculty to be silenced, vilified, and even criminalized when they speak or act in support of Palestinian struggles. We pledge to stand up to CUNY management's attempts to censor dissent. We demand that the Chancellor, campus presidents, and all those in leadership positions end the repression and intimidation of Palestine solidarity activists and fulfill our responsibility to equally protect the rights of all members of CUNY. This next piece is published at PressTV.ir. People in Muslim-majority countries held protests to show their support for Palestinians in Gaza, demanding freedom for Palestine and an urgent end to brutal Israeli air raids. People in various states such as Iran, Egypt, Malaysia, Jordan, Iraq, Lebanon, Turkey, Syria, Yemen, and Qatar held demonstrations on Friday to slam Israeli crimes in Gaza, where the occupation air raids have already claimed the lives of more than 4,000 Palestinians. People in the Iranian capital of Tehran convened at Palestine Square in thousands to voice their support for Palestine. Demonstrators held banners in condemnation of the Israeli crimes and the regime's supporters in the West. They also called for the liberation of the Palestinian lands and displayed the photos of General Qasem Soleimani, a top anti-terror commander who was assassinated by the United States in January 2020. Quote, I'm here to send this message to Israel that Gaza is not alone and we are standing beside the innocent Palestinian people, one of the participants told Mayor News Agency. Multiple cities across Iran also witnessed pro-Palestinian demonstrations following Friday prayer. Tens of thousands of people have taken to the streets in the Egyptian capital Cairo and other main cities across the country, demanding the opening of the Rafah crossing to allow aid for Palestinians who have been under Israel's total siege and bombardment for 14 days. Several thousand people gathered in Cairo's Tahrir Square despite a heavy deployment of security forces, calling for Israel to stop its bombardment of the Gaza Strip, one of the most densely populated areas in the world. Demonstrators were demanding the opening of the Rafah crossing on the Egypt-Gaza border to allow aid into Gaza. The crossing is currently the only gateway to Gaza which has been under siege by the Israeli regime. Israel bombed the crossing at least five times since it launched its war on Gaza on October 7, on both the Egyptian and the Palestinian sides. The latest attack was on Friday on the Gaza side. People were also chanting slogans against the government of President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, demanding the closure of the Israeli embassy and the expulsion of the regime's ambassador. Resistance is the solution, people chanted. The people want the fall of Israel. Demonstrators also chanted slogans invoking Arab armies to act. Several countries and aid organizations have been sending cargo planes and trucks to the Rafah border for days, but none has been allowed to enter so far. The border crossing was due to open on Friday. In Jordan, thousands of people marched in the capital Amman and elsewhere around the country, chanting slogans in support of Palestinians and Hamas. 
Some 2,500 people gathered on a highway in Amman on their way to the borders with the occupied West Bank. Police blocked the roads leading to the border to prevent people from heading towards the occupied territory. Protesters were calling on the authorities to allow them to join the fight alongside Hamas. Several thousand people also gathered near the Israeli embassy in Amman, chanting slogans against the occupying entity. No Jewish embassy on Arab land, protesters chanted. Jordan's riot police blocked roads leading to the fortified embassy complex to keep back demonstrators who gathered around the nearby Kalati Mosque in the city. Huge protests took place in the capital, Sana'a, in Yemen, and other governorates to express their anger and condemnation of the Israeli massacre in Gaza. The protesters waved Palestinian flags and signs that supported the Palestinians' right to defend their land, dignity, Islamic holy places, and free them from Israeli occupation. The protesters also chanted slogans that showed their strong support for the Palestinian people, their brave resistance, and their readiness to sacrifice everything to liberate Palestine and the occupied city of Al-Quds. Hundreds of people dem also demonstrated against Israel in the occupied West Bank's Ramallah on Friday. The rally came one day after Israeli forces raided and carried out an airstrike on a Palestinian refugee camp in the territory, killing at least 12 people. Turkey, which has declared three days of mourning for Gaza, saw thousands of people protesting against Israel's atrocities in Gaza outside mosques in Istanbul and Ankara after Friday prayers. The protesters in Istanbul showed their solidarity with the Palestinians by waving Turkish and Palestinian flags, holding signs, and shouting slogans. Some of the signs read, Stop the Genocide, and Murderer Israel Get Out of Palestine. To protest the hospital blast, a group of men wore doctor's coats stained with red and carried dolls that looked like dead babies. Some of the protesters also burned an effigy of the Israeli Prime Minister and an Israeli flag. Angry protests have been held across the Muslim world since Israel killed hundreds of Palestinians at a Gaza hospital on Tuesday. The regime's forces launched its deadly bombing campaign on Gaza after Hamas waged Operation Al-Aqsa Storm against the occupying regime. While over 4,100 Palestinians have so far been killed across the Strip, according to figures from the health ministry, nearly 13,500 individuals have also been injured. The regime has also turned off water supplies to the Gaza Strip more than a week ago. The United Nations has warned that approximately 2 million people in Gaza will soon run out of water because Israel has shut off supplies. Next up, a piece published at France24.com, written by Jessica Lemasserier. Around her neck, Jessica Murphy wears a delicate gold chain with a Hamsa hand pendant, a universal symbol of protection and strength. For Muslims, it's the hand of Fatima, while Jews call it the hand of Miriam, a talisman to ward off the evil eye and negative energy. I've been feeling a lot of sadness. I've been feeling pretty distraught, she says. Murphy knows all about trauma. A Jewish New Yorker, she became a victim of terrorism at age five when her father was killed in the September 11 attacks on the World Trade Center. I think that allows me to empathize with the Israeli civilians who lost loved ones in the attacks last Saturday, 
while also empathizing with Palestinians who lost family due to the retaliatory airstrike, she said. The 27-year-old medical student is watching the current turmoil in the Middle East closely, while she is horrified by the violence wrought on Israelis at the hands of Hamas. She is also outraged by Israel's heavy-handed response. I can't say I'm surprised at how Israel's retaliating, given the history of this long conflict and military occupation, she says. But I'm really devastated and I'm fearful of what's to come. Murphy is concerned that a false dichotomy is being created, whereby you either support terrorism or you support the state of Israel, she says. It was long after the 9-11 attacks when Murphy came of age that she learned about the U.S. response to the worst terrorist attacks in the country's history. Quote, I was obviously a child when 9-11 happened, and it's only many years after the invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan and the torture and detention of many innocent people at Guantanamo Bay that I learned about those horrors the U.S. committed, ostensibly in the name of 9-11 victims, like my dad, she recalls. Since then, Murphy has made a point of condemning retaliatory violence and holding the U.S. government to a higher standard of morality and rule of law. I feel that Israel is making a similar mistake that the United States did, she adds, stressing that war crimes, however horrific, do not entitle countries to commit crimes of their own. War crimes by one party do not justify war crimes by another, she says. Obviously, 9-11 was a war crime. Obviously, the attacks by Hamas were a war crime. But that does not justify war crimes by the United States in Iraq or by Israel in Gaza. Murphy was part of a group of 1,000 or so protesters who gathered outside U.S. Senator Chuck Schumer's house on Friday, October 13, to encourage him and other politicians to stop funding the Israeli military. Quote, Schumer is the most powerful Democratic senator in the country, and he has the power to call for a ceasefire and stop weapons sales to Israel, which is what we're asking him to do, says Jewish peace activist Tal Frieden who was also at the protest. Freedom was arrested along with other protesters for blocking entry to the street where the senator resides. They chanted, not in our name, throughout the protest. He and Murphy are among a growing number of Jewish New Yorkers who have spoken out against what they say is the dehumanization of the Palestinian people. Frieden's grandparents were Holocaust survivors. Quote, they're Hungarian Jews, my grandmother survived a work camp in Hungary, and my grandfather hid in the countryside in Hungary, he says. Growing up, he says his family taught him that never again was never again for anyone. Frieden views the Israeli bombing of Gaza as genocide. UN legal experts have said that Israeli actions in Gaza could amount to ethnic cleansing. Palestinian officials say more than 4,000 people have been killed in Gaza since Hamas attacked Israel on October 7, killing more than 1,400 people. A group of Israeli experts on international law issued a statement on Sunday assessing that the Hamas terror group committed multiple war crimes in its assault on Israel and that its actions likely amounted to genocide. Frieden traveled to D.C. on Wednesday with an organization called Jewish Voice for Peace to protest at the Capitol and call for a ceasefire. The group represents Jews in the U.S. who are anti-Zionist and who want to end U.S. military aid to Israel. Hundreds of people attended the protest. Quote, 
We're seeing over a million people being asked to leave their homes overnight, only for them to be bombed on their way to what they believe would be safety. We're watching all of the electricity, water, aid being stopped going into Gaza by the Israeli military. And we're watching all of these atrocities unfold, he says. And people across the country, across the world are asking, what can I do to stop this? And we're watching as thousands of people are taken to the streets and saying, not in our name. Frieden thinks that the number of Jewish Americans joining the movement is increasing. The tides are changing, and we're seeing more and more support for Palestinian liberation, he says. The staunchly pro-Israel Anti-Defamation League, ADL, says the anti-war activists belong to, quote, far-left radical organizations and do not represent the majority of Jewish community. Next up is a piece published at huckmag.com, written by Leah Nama Brink and Jessica Clark. As Jews in the UK, we write in horror, fear, and outrage. Barely a week has passed since we organized a vigil to mourn the lives lost in Hamas's ghastly massacre. Jewish, Palestinian, and Bedouin citizens of Israel, as well as migrant workers, and the Gazans already being slaughtered in Israel's retaliatory and reflexive violence. We are not blind to the dreadful symbolism of the events of October 7th, which have raised the specter of our community's historical trauma. Yet we refuse to let this pain be weaponized to justify further bloodshed. The drastically worsening situation in Gaza prevents us from keeping silent. This Thursday night, we joined Namad's Jewish-led protest against our government's absolute support for the Israeli state as it meets out mass destruction, devastation, and death to innocent civilians. Vague appeals to upholding international law ring hollow when schools are reduced to rubble or when children are killed by IDF airstrikes as they try desperately to access clean sources of water. Israel's intensification of its 16-year blockade of Gaza into a complete siege, denying civilians access to vital supplies, amounts to collective punishment, a war crime. The attempt to forcibly displace over one million people in an active war zone is a death sentence for the sick and injured. It's a crime against humanity. Without a guarantee of return, Palestinians rightly see it as part of the ongoing Nakba, the catastrophe of ethnic cleansing that they have been subject to since 1948. We do not see today's violence outside the context of years of systemic oppression under Israel's regime of apartheid and illegal occupation. With the media's eyes on Gaza, armed settlers continue to ramp up their exterminatory violence against Palestinians in the occupied West Bank with impunity. We take inspiration from those Israelis who, even in their profound grief, have found the courage and empathy to oppose their government's brutal escalation of violence. Their state is cracking down on all criticism of the war, primarily targeting Palestinian citizens of Israel, and fomenting a McCarthyite atmosphere in public institutions. Right-wing legislators in Israel are seizing the moment to draft repressive regulations against the spreading of any information that, quote, undermines the morale of Israel's soldiers and residents. Anti-war protests are dispersed with police threatening that anyone who identifies with Gaza can be escorted there on buses. Dissenters also face a vigilante far-right that has been emboldened by the ascendancy of Jewish supremacist political leaders. 
This week, the left-wing ultra-Orthodox Jewish journalist Israel Frey was forced to go into hiding after right-wing activists threw flares and tried to break into his apartment, threatening his life and his family. Israel is not the first country to exploit a state of emergency to accelerate a repressive political project that would spark more resistance in other circumstances. What has been striking in this moment is the zeal with which Western governments have rushed to stifle expressions of solidarity from their own citizens. In France, a blanket ban on pro-Palestine demonstrations is being fought over in the courts. In Germany, repression of support for the Palestinian cause predates even the current crisis. In the UK, a ban on public bodies from boycotting Israel or even the occupied territories has further narrowed the space for democratic process of placing pressure on Israel over its treatment of Palestinians. These citizens are able to see clearly through the fog of war and the equivocations of international leaders that an extreme right-wing government at the helm of an occupying power is now accelerating its project of subduing once and for all an occupied population. The gloves-off murderous rhetoric of Israeli politicians should leave no space for ambiguity. It has prompted 800 scholars worldwide to echo Israel's historian Roz Siegel's warning that what we are witnessing is a textbook case of genocide. This is not a word we use lightly. Blind and retaliatory force has done little to ensure the collective safety of Israelis and Palestinians, as the horrors of October 7th reminded us. Many Israelis have lost trust in a government that has all but abandoned the families of those held hostage by Hamas in its delirium of its punitive military campaign. They are led by corrupt politicians whose shameful priorities left families in the south of Israel exposed to unfathomable violence. Rather than an ill-fated repeat of past crimes, we are calling for an immediate ceasefire, urgent humanitarian assistance, and a political solution to lift the siege on Gaza, negotiations to release the civilians held hostage by Hamas, an exchange deal for captured soldiers and Palestinian prisoners. This can only be the first step, only the pursuit of full rights and equality for all those in Israel-Palestine can bring a true end to the catastrophic devastation, fear, and suffering that people in the region are experiencing now. Next up is a piece published at thecrimson.com, written by Cam E. Kettles and Asusa M. Lippitt. Around 500 protesters supporting Palestine walked out of class and marched through multiple Harvard schools Thursday afternoon. The third protest on campus in support of Palestine following the start of the war in Israel and Gaza. Organized by the Harvard Undergraduate Palestine Solidarity Committee and graduate students for Palestine, the protest traveled across campus. While classes were in session, demonstrators marched through the Science Center, then through the law school's Kaspersen Student Center and Wasserstein Hall before marching through Harvard Square to protest in the Harvard Kennedy School courtyard. Several protesters were holding noisemakers, including drumsticks and buckets. The demonstrators halted traffic on JFK Street for two traffic light cycles. The protest was not originally intended to reach HLS and HKS, according to a PSC statement to the Crimson. The protesters were accompanied by a significant police presence who were in communication 
with the PSC prior to the event. The PSC has received nationwide backlash for an October 8th statement originally signed by more than 30 student groups that held the Israeli government entirely responsible for the violence in the region. In the past week, pro-Palestine demonstrators held a rally that drew more than 1,000 people Saturday and a die-in, attended by hundreds on Wednesday. A news helicopter hovered above the protesters for the second day in a row. After the event concluded, the PSC and GS4P announced plans for an additional protest Friday morning at Harvard Medical School's Longwood campus. Members of the PSC and other groups that originally signed the statement have been the target of a series of doxing attacks, including a billboard truck funded by conservative media watchdog Accuracy in Media displaying the names and faces of students alleged to be linked to the groups. The Guardian reported Monday that the largest donor of Accuracy in Media is the Informing America Foundation. The Informing America Foundation's largest donor is the Diana Davis Spencer Foundation, whose namesake serves on the advisory board for Harvard's Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies. When the protests stopped outside HKS, African and African American Resistance Organization co-founder Amari M. Butler addressed the crowd. Quote, You may recognize me from a certain vehicle that may or may not have been circling around Harvard Square recently, Butler said. Butler accused the university of not supporting DOCS students and said groups like Accuracy and Media have used intimidation and scare tactics to instill fear in student leaders at the helm of the Palestine Solidarity Movement. Harvard spokesperson Jason A. Newton declined to comment on the doxing of students referring back to previous statements from administrators. Butler also encouraged protesters to sign an open letter written by Act Now to Stop War and End Racism a national anti-war activist organization. The letter lists more than 50 initial signatories, including Harvard faculty members Vijay Iyer, Christopher Hastie, and John Womack, Jr. Quote, We, the undersigned, stand with the courageous students at Harvard and elsewhere who are being attacked because they stand with the people of Palestine. The letter reads... Next piece is from MiddleEastEye.net, written by Mohammed Ersan. On Wednesday night, two kilometers away from the Israeli embassy in the Jordanian capital, Ali Abu Musame held signs, held a sign that reads, Paradise is closer than Sinai. Ali and young protesters like him say they are ready to die defending the Palestinians from the Israeli occupation. They would like the Jordanian government to open the borders with Palestine and allow them to fight there. It was the day after the Israeli bombardment of Al-Ali Hospital in Gaza that killed at least 471 displaced Palestinian civilians and patients. Israel denied responsibility, claiming a rocket belonging to the Palestinian Islamic Jihad failed to launch properly and hit the hospital. Jordan's King Abdullah II, however, blamed Israel and described the incident as a massacre and a war crime. The Jordanian government declared three days of mourning for those killed in the hospital strike. Ali and other young protesters in Amman on Wednesday demanded the expulsion of the Israeli ambassador and the abrogation of the 1994 peace treaty with Israel, as well as the agreement to buy natural gas from Israel, which Jordan signed in 2016. Ali's family hails from Beersheba in historic Palestine, now part of southern Israel. 
They were violently displaced from the area in 1948 by Zionist militias during the creation of Israel and relocated to Jordan. Today I stand in the face of the occupation and its massacres. We want the Jordanian government to allow us to remove this embassy and sever relations with the occupier, he told Middle East Eye. We must not stand idly by. Ali is an accountant at a dairy company. He has no affiliation to any political movement. Since the start of the war on Gaza on 7 October, he and his colleagues have been protesting daily. Quote, we do not belong to any political parties. We belong to the Jordanian people and the Palestinian people. I am here to contribute to efforts to achieve victory for the Palestinians and the right of return. Fear us, told MEE. Bilal, a third protester, came with his children to the vicinity of the Israeli embassy. I came to support the Palestinian resistance and to say no to bloodshed in Gaza, he said. Most protesters from Ali, Firas, and Bilal's generation have never seen Palestine. They only hear about it on the news or from stories passed down from their families about the homes of their ancestors before the Nakba, when more than 700,000 Palestinians were expelled from their homes in 1948. In the 1967 Middle East War, when Israel seized the West Bank and Gaza, a further 300,000 Palestinians fled, mostly to Jordan. There are 2.2 million UN-registered Palestinian refugees in the kingdom, but the real number of Palestinians in the country is considerably higher. Some young protesters tried to storm the Israeli embassy building in Amman on Wednesday from the side roads, and some had Molotov cocktails, but they were dispersed by security forces. The Jordanian security services said later that evening that some officers were wounded and had to be hospitalized as a result of clashes with protesters. Quote, Everyone must abide by the law and the instructions of the security personnel who are there to protect them and guarantee their right to express their opinion freely, a police statement read. According to Fakhar, a student activist, a significant number of the participants at the protests were university students, quote, despite all attempts to exclude the students from official and security matters. These young people are coming out to demand the liberation of Palestine, said Fokker, despite the Jordanian government's systematic amendment of school curricula to delete references to the occupation in the context of the Palestinian issue since its peace agreement with Israel. Meanwhile, a large number of protesters were of Jordanian East Bank origin. They were protesting for national, religious, or humanitarian reasons. One of them, Hadil al-Sabi, said she was there because of my anger in the name of humanity to stop this aggression and stand with the people of Gaza. They are besieged people. We should not forget about our brothers, she told MEE. It's also to exercise pressure to deliver aid to them. Today I demand that the Israeli occupation state condemn these crimes that resulted in the death of thousands of martyrs, the displacement of families, and the non-stop killing of women, children, and civilians. And from the SaudiGazette.com, several hundred people defied a ban on pro-Palestinian rallies and took to the streets of Berlin on Wednesday evening. According to the police, more than 60 officers were, quote, wounded by stones, flaming liquids, and acts of rebellion. Oh, wounded by acts of rebellion. Uh, there is no information on injuries among the demonstrators. At least 174 people were arrested after the rally, 65 of whom are, quote, 
under criminal investigation. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz called on the authorities on Thursday morning to prevent demonstrations that threatened to turn into anti-Semitic rallies. Outside the International Court of Justice in The Hague, a pro-Palestinian peaceful demonstration demanded consequences for Israeli leaders. Quote, We wanted to let the ICC know that we support the people in Gaza, that we want that Netanyahu one day come to this court to be punished here, said law student Dima Abdali. A pro-Israel rally in Athens demanded justice for the thousands of innocent people murdered and the immediate release of the hostages held by Hamas. It's the first popular demonstration of support for Tel Aviv in Greece since the Hamas attack on 7 October. In Athens, around 10,000 people also gathered in solidarity with the Palestinians. And here's a piece written by Chris Gourlay, published at edinburghlive.co.uk. A crowd of over 100 Edinburgh protesters are making their way to a police station in the capital after a rally at Bristow Square led to the arrest of one man. The pro-Palestine march took place on Friday, October 20, with students showing solidarity with Palestinians that have been under siege by the IDF in a conflict that was sparked after Hamas attacked Israel on October 7. After what was described as a peaceful protest by one attendee, police arrested a man following an alleged vandalism offense as he was subsequently put in the back of a van. Hundreds then gathered around the vehicle and refused to move as officers were involved in a standoff surrounding the police van. Now the crowd have been marching to St. Leonard's police station to show their support for arrested protesters as footage shows individuals making their way across the capital. A Police Scotland spokesperson said, quote, Officers were in attendance at the Bristow Square area of Edinburgh on Friday, 20 October 2023, following a protest. One man was arrested in connection with a vandalism incident. A number of protesters remain in attendance in the area around St. Leonard's Police Station. Officers continue to engage with those present. Talking to X, formerly known as Twitter, one eyewitness said, quote, a hundreds marching to the police station in Edinburgh after human rights lawyer Amer Anwar secured guarantees from cops that the detainee arrested at today's pro-Palestinian protests in Edinburgh will be released. Another added police have cracked down on pro-Palestinian protests at Edinburgh University and arrested one student. Protesters are now marching to the nearby St. Leonard Street police station to secure their release. And the TampaBay.com site has this story published by, or written by, Colleen Wright. A city council meeting came to an abrupt end Thursday night after pro-Palestine chants continued following the council chairperson's warning. About 60 people showed up to demand a repeal of a resolution the council passed last week supporting the state of Israel and condemning Hamas and Iran. After two dozen speakers, a man refused to give his last name or address, a requirement for public speakers to verify that they live or do business in the city. When Chairperson Brandy Gabbard tried to stop him, he kept on, cursed at her, and began a pro-Palestine chant. He was escorted out of the chambers by security. Gabbard called a recess to the meeting and reconvened it minutes later. She told the crowd that she wanted to hear all speakers, but if there was another outburst, the meeting would be adjourned before the council members could speak or take action if they wanted to. The very next speaker, at the end of her remarks, said, Free, free Palestine, and the crowd 
echoed her. Gabbard ended the meeting after 8 p.m. The resolution in question was authored by the council member Ed Montanari, who also worked to light the Sunshine Skyway in blue and white in support of Israel. He put forward the resolution on October 12 with members of the Jewish community, including former mayor Rick Kreisman, applauding it. We're going to rock the boat today, Montanari said at that meeting. We're going to stand up today. The resolution was approved in a 6-1 to vote. Councilmember Richie Floyd was the sole no vote, and Councilmember John Muhammad was absent. Floyd took issue with the inclusion of Iran, saying there had been no link between Iran and Hamas in the current attacks. He said it felt like war drums were being beaten, and he became emotional as he shared that he was embarrassed to have previously worked for a defense contractor. I'll support a resolution that's written with peace and an end to violence in mind, but this resolution is not that, he said. Floyd referred to reporters Thursday to his previous comments. At the end of Thursday's meeting, Montanari told reporters, quote, We stand by the resolution. We stand with Israel. On Thursday, people who came to speak identified themselves as Palestinians, Jews, Christians, and clergy. They said the language used in the resolution had unbalanced and false rhetoric that inflames Islamophobia. We cannot stand by and allow you to be complicit on behalf of the city in spreading hate, said Lama al-Hassan. Fatima Syed said many Palestinians condemned Hamas and that they are not representative of Palestinians, just as hate groups such as the KKK do not represent Americans. All these young people were going to live with the consequences of the decision we make today, she said. We are just asking you to look at the numbers and to not support further violence and war at this time, having a lot of people dying, families, babies, children on the other side as well. I believe that you had good intentions with this, said the Reverend Ben Atherton Zeman of Unitarian Universalist Church of St. Petersburg. You do, not, you do need to repeal what you passed. There was an increased police presence at City Hall. Montanari told the Tampa Bay Times last week that he wanted to condemn Iran in the resolution because, quote, Iran has been behind terrorist groups like Hamas and Hezbollah for a long time. Nobody wants a wider war, but Israel has to defend itself, he said. Asked if Montanari would support a wider resolution as floated by Floyd, Montanari said he couldn't say until he saw the language. Quote, I wanted our resolution to be very clear where we stood, he said. I wanted to speak with a clear voice. Joy Ashford has written this piece published at DallasNews.com. Hundreds of protesters gathered in front of the Dallas Morning News downtown office Thursday to protest the way the news outlet and the larger mainstream media have been covering the Israel-Hamas war. Speakers from groups including the Palestinian Youth Movement, Indian American Muslim Council, Dallas Anti-War Committee, and Party for Socialism and Liberation for Dallas-Fort Worth gave speeches. Organizers led the crowd in chants of Dallas media you can't hide. We charge you with genocide. And when people are occupied, resistance is justified. Joe Hargis of the Dallas Anti-War Committee gave a speech criticizing mainstream media reports that Hamas was beheading babies. Quote, there have been horrifying stories coming out that our media has reported and then quietly retracted in order to delegitimize the Palestinian resistance and justify a genocide of Palestinian people, they said. 
Reports that Hamas had beheaded Israeli babies began circulating widely on social media after the Tel Aviv-based news channel I-24's reporter, Nicole Zedek, said she had spoken with Israeli soldiers who had witnessed decapitated babies in a live broadcast, according to Al Jazeera. President Joe Biden then said during a meeting at the White House, quote, I never really thought that I would see, have confirmed, pictures of terrorists beheading children. A White House spokesperson later clarified that U.S. officials and the president have not seen pictures or confirmed such reports independently, the Washington Post reported on Wednesday. This playbook is not new, Hargis went on. Before the Iraq war, we were told stories that babies were being taken out of their cribs and hospitals and murdered by the Iraqis. And these stories were used to justify the murder of thousands upon thousands of innocent Iraqi people. Have we learned nothing? Hargis asked the crowd, to which they shouted, no. In an interview after the protests, Ranim al-Hendi with the Palestinian Youth Movement expressed concerns about the news's previous coverage. She said news media, including the DMN, often frame the conflict as just starting October 7, instead of being one act in a years-long occupation. I want media to be asking more questions about what our demands are, because we are talking about our demands. We are saying why we're here, she said. A lot of the time that's left out for like one quote, saying, I'm sad. We want an end to the colonial occupation of Palestine. We want total national liberation, and we want to stop the carpet bombing of Gaza, and we want media to do their part to report honestly and truthfully about not just our actions, but the context. Brett Wilkins has this piece published at CommonDreams.org. Citing the catastrophic suffering inflicted upon the people of Gaza by Israel's relentless bombardment of the Palestinian territory, Hundreds of Muslim and Jewish U.S. congressional staffers on Thursday signed an open letter urging lawmakers to demand a ceasefire as the war approaches the two-week mark. Quote, We feel compelled to raise our voices in this moment, the staffers wrote. Millions of lives hang in the balance, including the 2.3 million civilians, half of whom are children, in Gaza, civilians in Israel, and Jews and Muslims around the world. This is especially urgent with the anti-Semitism, anti-Muslim, and anti-Palestinian sentiment on the rise nationwide, which instigated the brutal murder of a six-year-old Palestinian-American child, Wadea al-Fayyum. Israeli officials said more than 1,400 Israeli civilians and soldiers were killed in the Hamas-led surprise attacks of October 7. The staffers said they joined the mourning of the loss of Israelis murdered by these acts of terrorism and in prayer for those injured and around 200 hostages in Gaza, including our fellow Americans, whose safe return is a priority for us all. We joined members of Congress and the international community's denunciation of the horrific war crimes Hamas has committed, the letter states. At the same time, we mourn for the Palestinian civilians who are enduring catastrophic suffering at the hands of the Israeli government. As of this writing, more than 6,000 bombs have been dropped on the Gaza Strip. More than 4,000 Palestinian civilians, including entire families, have been slain, and about 12,500 are injured. 
Palestinians in Gaza are facing critical shortages of medicine, food, drinking water, fuel, and electricity, following the Israeli government's brutal blockade, the staffers noted. As Muslims, Jews, and allies, we believe that denying these basic resources violates the tenets of our faiths, values, and our humanity. We are tired of reliving generational fears of genocide and ethnic cleansing, they added. We are tired of leaders pushing us to blame each other, exploiting our pain and our histories to rationalize political agendas and justify violence. We are calling on our elected officials to find a new way forward together through unbreakable solidarity motivated by our humanity. The staffer's letter follows the introduction earlier this week of a resolution led by Representatives Cory Bush and Rashida Tlaib and co-sponsored by 13 other House progressives urging the Biden administration to push for an immediate ceasefire. In the Senate, Bernie Sanders on Wednesday blocked passage of a Republican legislation to prohibit American aid to Gaza until President Joe Biden certifies that the funds won't benefit members of Hamas or any other U.S.-designated terrorist organization. Quote, We've got to do everything that we can to make sure that not one nickel goes to the murderous Hamas organization, Sanders explained. But at the same time, we've got to stand with the innocent women and children in Palestine who are suffering today and are facing an almost unprecedented modern humanitarian disaster. In stark contrast with the progressive lawmakers' call for an immediate ceasefire, the United States on Wednesday vetoed a United Nations Security Council resolution condemning violence against civilians in Israel and Gaza and calling for humanitarian pauses to allow aid to enter the besieged Palestinian territory. The U.S. was the only Security Council member to oppose the measure. A U.S. broker deal to allow 20 truckloads of humanitarian aid into Gaza from Egypt was announced late Wednesday, though the details were still being hammered out on Thursday. Also on Wednesday, Josh Paul, who spent 11 years as Director of Congressional and Public Affairs for the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Political Military Affairs, tendered his resignation over U.S. military aid to Israel during what numerous critics have called its genocide against Palestinians. Quote, I made myself a promise that I would stay for as long as I felt the harm I might do could be outweighed by the good I could do, Paul explained in his resignation letter. I am leaving today because I believe that in our current course, with regards to the continued, indeed expanded and expedited, provision of lethal arms to Israel, I have reached the end of that bargain. Next up is a piece published at therealnews.com, written by Jaisal Noor. On October 18, organizers say 500 people, mostly Jewish activists, were arrested in Washington, D.C. as they carried out a sit-in inside the Capitol Office building to demand an immediate ceasefire in the besieged and blockaded Gaza Strip. We are here, very simply, to say no to genocide and say an end to mass murder, to say an end to keeping water, food, power, and medical care away from people, Rabbi Linda Holtzman told The Real News prior to her arrest inside the Capitol's Cannon House office building. Holtzman and a dozen other Jewish rabbis led the civil disobedience action as thousands rallied outside to demand an end to the U.S.-backed Israeli assault on Gaza. Many held signs that read, Jews say, ceasefire now, and no to war, no to apartheid. 
Gaza's 2.2 million residents face a mounting death toll from a relentless bombing campaign by Israeli forces, which have cut off access to food, water and electricity. In retaliation for the October 7 Hamas cross-border attack that killed over 1,400 Israelis. As of October 18, 3,478 Palestinians have been killed and 12,000 wounded by Israel's assault, including reports of 471 killed on October 17 in the bombing of a Gaza hospital. The United Nations has urged Israel to lift its humanitarian blockade, cutting access to power, water, food, and medical supplies. Israel ordered one million Gaza residents to relocate to the south ahead of a possible ground invasion. Quote, it is a genocide, and I say that with the full knowledge of all that means to our people, and we are here to end it now, said Stephanie Fox, executive director of Jewish Voice for Peace, which organized the action. Starting at noon, gathered at the National Mall, speakers led chants of no more weapons, no more war, a ceasefire is what we're calling for, and urged Congress to support a resolution introduced by Representatives Cory Bush and Rashida Tlaib for an immediate ceasefire. Tlaib, the sole Palestinian-American member of Congress, criticized her colleagues for rejecting her call for an immediate end to hostilities. Quote, They're saying not yet, maybe next week, maybe in a couple of days. How many have to die? Tlaib asked. Tlaib also criticized the White House, which has so far rejected calls for a ceasefire, and last week said those demands were repugnant and disgraceful. I want President Biden to know, as a Palestinian-American and of the Muslim faith, I'm not going to forget this, and I think a lot of people are not going to forget this, Tlaib said. Bush said a ceasefire is the only way to stop the cycle of bloodshed in Israel and Palestine. Violence, we know, will never bring peace. Violence only leads to more violence, she said. We must stand on the side of humanity. We must stand on the side of justice. We must stand on the side of equality. We must stand on the side of self-determination. At the rally, speakers also accused politicians of stoking Islamophobia by dehumanizing Palestinians, noting the death of six-year-old Palestinian-American Wadea al-Fayyum, who was stabbed to death the previous Saturday because he was Muslim police say. Quote, our poor six-year-old baby, my child is the same age. There is just no excuse for the kind of utter cruelty and dehumanization that is being drummed up by our very politicians. And that's what we're here to say no to. This next piece is published at newarab.com. Thousands gathered for a pro-Palestinian protest in the heart of Paris on Thursday, after authorities lifted a ban put in place immediately after the surprise Hamas attack on Israel on 7 October. A Paris court on Thursday had suspended a ban that had been put on the protests in Place de la République in central Paris. Thousands had already gathered for the rally which started off peacefully but reportedly saw some clashes with police who used pepper spray to disperse the crowd, according to AFP journalists at the scene. The crowds, however, returned and carried on with the protest. Last week, Interior Minister Gerald Darmanin had called on regional authorities to ban all pro-Palestinian demonstrations, claiming there to be a spike in anti-Semitic incidents in the wake of the Israeli war on Gaza. But the Paris court said the bans imposed by regional prefects were a serious and clearly illegal threat to the freedom to protest. 
President Emmanuel Macron said it had been justified to block pro-Palestinian demonstrations immediately after the attack by Hamas on Israel. Quote, I think there was a period of decency. There had been a terrorist attack. It wasn't good, he said earlier on Thursday in an exchange with students in the street witnessed by AFP. I see people who want to demonstrate peacefully, but there are hyper-radical elements who are going to burn the Israeli flag and defend Hamas, Macron added. Hamas carried out a surprise air ground sea attack and also published at newarab.com uh, this piece written by Ibrahim Husseini. As Israel's war on Gaza nears its third week, Palestinians in the occupied West Bank are demanding Palestinian Authority, PA, President Mahmoud Abbas, revoke the Palestinian Liberation Organization, PLO's commitments to Israel, including security coordination. Rallies are erupting in the occupied West Bank, including Ramallah, the seat of the Palestinian Authority, in support of the blockaded Gaza Strip and the Islamic resistance movement, Hamas, as casualties in the Strip on day 13 of the fighting surpassed 3,500. On Wednesday, October 18, protesters held photos of victims of Israeli airstrikes on Gaza as they marched in Ramallah's city center near the presidential compound, chanting not only against the war, but also against the PA, which has long been criticized for, quote, collaborating with Israel. The people want RPG, not coordination and CIA, some of the protesters shouted. Issam Baker, a popular activist and member of the Al-Shab party, told the New Arab that PLO must implement the resolutions adopted by the Palestinian National Council and the Palestinian Central Council, which call for the withdrawal of recognition of Israel. Last year, the Palestinian Central Council voted to rescind the PLO's recognition of Israel and end all forms of security cooperation between the PA and Israel. The PLO Central Committee, however, did not abide. The Palestinian leadership must position the capabilities of the Palestinian people, including those of the Palestinian Authority, to confront Israel, Baker said, strongly implying that the PA security forces, funded by the U.S. and Europe, should take active steps to protect Palestinians. As the pressure mounts on Mahmoud Abbas, age 87, to take a more assertive stance towards the Israeli occupation, many Palestinians feel that the priority now is to stop the bloodshed in Gaza without losing sight of the dangers lurking in the West Bank. As the angry protesters called on the Al-Qasim brigades, the military wing of Hamas, to strike Tel Aviv to avenge the Israeli airstrikes on Gaza, one of the protesters told TNA that she expects the situation to get worse here in the occupied West Bank, anticipating an Israeli control of an iron fist exerted on Palestinians. Quote, the Israelis will put more checkpoints and bomb us like they're bombing Gaza. The difference is that there is resistance in Gaza, but no resistance in the West Bank, because here there's a normalizing regime, the woman said in reference to the Palestinian Authority. Earlier this week, Mahmoud Abbas cut short a visit to the Jordanian capital as news of the Israeli strike on the Al-Ali hospital in Gaza spread. Abbas arrived in Ramallah shortly after midnight Wednesday aboard a Jordanian aircraft and immediately convened a meeting with his cabinet. In a recent interview with the New Arab's Arabic-language sister publication, Al-Arabi Al-Jadid, 
Hussein al-Sheikh, the PLO's secretary general, said Egypt, Jordan, and the Palestinians collectively decided to withdraw from the Amman summit that was initially scheduled to host U.S. President Joe Biden, who was expected to arrive in Amman the same day after his meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu. On the night of the bombing of Al-Ali Hospital, PA security forces faced Palestinian protesters in Jenin and Ramallah. The protesters who took to the streets were angered by a perceived lack of response by the PA, likely prodding Mahmoud Abbas to shun Biden. Quote, We've boycotted Biden to send a strong political message, Al-Sheikh told Al-Arbi Al-Jadid's Naila Khalil, adding a warning that Israeli government is mulling plans to displace Palestinians to both Egypt and Jordan. USnews.com published this report. Several hundred pro-Palestinian protesters gathered outside the Hague headquarters of the International Criminal Court on Wednesday, to urge it and the international community to take action against what they call genocide against Palestinians. The ICC is investigating potential atrocity crimes that Hamas militants in Israel and Israelis in the Gaza Strip have committed since 2014, which also covers the current conflict. We are against killings of any parties. However, when it comes to Gaza, the world is always turning a blind eye. We came here to say enough is enough. Rafat Al-Kayo said, adding that he came to the ICC to protest because he believes in international law. Protesters carried signs that said justice for Palestine, stop the genocide, and how many children will die until Israel is prosecuted. Last week, ICC prosecutor Karim Khan told Reuters that the court has jurisdiction over potential atrocity crimes carried out by Hamas militants in Israel and Israelis in the Gaza Strip, even though Israel is not a member state. Berkeleyside.org published this piece written by Ali Markovich. Over 150 Berkeley High School students walked out of class Wednesday in a pro-Palestine rally to call for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war after the surprise deadly attack by Hamas almost two weeks ago and the retaliatory airstrikes by Israelis. The protest is part of a larger day of action organized by the Arab Resource Organizing Center of San Francisco. The attack by Hamas on Israel soil left at least 1,400 Israelis dead. More than 3,300 people in Gaza have died since Israel began retaliatory airstrikes in the territory, according to the BBC, and a ground offensive is expected. We refuse to stay silent while so many families are being massacred and millions are being forcibly displaced, one Berkeley High student said at the protest. We are calling for an end to the occupation that Palestinians have endured for 75 years, said another. Marching from Civic Center Park to UC Berkeley, students chanted, Stop bombing Gaza, and from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Students at the rally drew attention to the plight of Palestinians over several decades of armed conflict in the region, describing Israel's hand in creating an apartheid state that they said operates like an open-air prison. Since Hamas seized power in 2007, Israel has blockaded the Gaza Strip, home to more than 2 million Palestinians, controlling trade and restricting residents' movement in and out of Gaza. The protesters called on teachers to teach about the history of the conflict. While marching, some Jewish students could be heard in the crowd explaining Zionism and Judaism to their peers. 
One student leader also denounced the murder of Israeli and Palestinian civilians. Quote, Berkeley Unified stands against all forms of hate, Superintendent Anikia Ford Morthel said in a statement shared with the community ahead of the protest. BUSD said the protest was not a district-sanctioned event and referenced the district's long tradition of students exercising their right to free speech. The protest sparked fear among some Jewish students on campus and their families. At the same time, students at the rally also shared concern about a rise in anti-Arab and anti-Palestinian rhetoric and violence. Similar protests took place in San Francisco and at other schools. In the last week, students have protested at UC Berkeley and college campuses nationwide, further polarizing supporters of Israel and Palestine. There have been separate vigils to mourn the loss of Israeli and Palestinian lives. WCVB.com has published this piece by John Atwater. Six people who opposed the war between Israel and Hamas were placed in handcuffs after the group refused to leave the John F. Kennedy Federal Building in Boston after it closed Wednesday evening as part of an anti-war protest. The group of protesters sat on the floor inside the lobby of the JFK Federal Building, locked arm-in-arm past 5 p.m., which prompted Homeland Security officers to put them in handcuffs and escort them out of the building. News Center 5 has learned the six protesters were each released from custody after receiving a citation and court summons. Meanwhile, a couple hundred protesters rallied outside of the JFK Federal Building in an effort to get U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren to call for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas, Warren's local offices inside the JFK Federal Building. A number of the anti-war protesters are Jewish and say the violence between the two sides has gone too far between Hamas's October 7 deadly incursion into Israel and Israel's retaliatory airstrikes in Gaza. According to a statement shared with News Center 5, Warren will not be calling for a ceasefire. Quote, I appreciate the people who came to my office to share their perspectives and experiences. That's what democracy is all about. Israel has both the right to defend itself from terrorist attacks and an obligation to protect innocent civilians under the international laws of war. Palestinian civilians have a right to humanitarian aid, including food, water, shelter, and medicine. There is an urgent need for safe corridors in Gaza to deliver humanitarian aid, and I will continue to emphasize the imperative to protect civilians. Warren's statement reads. And here's a piece by Paul McTaggart, published at newsandstar.co.uk. Carlisle's Palestinian Solidarity Group will be committing to weekly displays in support of peace in Palestine as the conflict in the Middle East continues. The group, which has been operational since 2014, hoped to speak to the public whilst calling for a de-escalation of tensions, a halt to violence, a move towards a just peace. It comes after the group held a vigil on October 14. Organizer Fiona Goldie said, quote, we will meet in Carlisle City Center every Saturday for the foreseeable future to show solidarity with the Palestinian people and to call for peace, justice, and an end to killing and adherence to international law. The group will be outside the Green Market's House of Fraser from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. On the group's original inception, Fiona said, We got together in 2014 as a result of a similar assault on Gaza by Israel in response to bombings from Hamas. 
That assault killed 2,251 civilians, approximately. It devastated the water treatment and power plant in Gaza, which have never been fully repaired. And since then, the situation for the people of Gaza has intensified. They are 10 years into a dependency on food, water, and medical supplies, she said. And finally, for this episode is a piece written by Olivia Roseanne, published at commondreams.org. After Hamas launched a surprise attack on southern Israel October 7, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu vowed they would pay an unprecedented price as he dropped retaliatory bombs on Gaza. Yet in the nearly two weeks of violence that has followed, some of the most vocal calls for peace have come from survivors of that initial attack and the family members of victims and hostages. In Israel, the number killed in the Hamas incursion has risen to more than 1,400. Meanwhile, Israeli airstrikes have killed at least 3,785 people in Gaza, the territory's health ministry told Reuters Thursday. Quote, You can't cure killed babies with more dead babies. Jonathan Zygen, the son of missing peace activist Vivian Silver, told Channel 4 News October 13, We need peace. Silver, a founding member of the Israeli-Palestine group Women Wage Peace, was alone at her home in Kibbutz Be'eri when Hamas fighters entered the community, according to Time. Zygen texted with her as she was hiding in a closet until the texts stopped coming. Her friends and family now live with the terrible hope that she is alive as a hostage in Gaza. Zygen told Channel 4 that Silver would be mortified by Israel's response to the attack. He said he understood the pain that motivated some Israelis to support retaliation, but the only way to have safety and to live good lives is with peace, he maintained. Vengeance isn't a strategy. Silver wasn't the only peace advocate caught up in the October 7 attack, as many left-wing Israelis live in the areas close to Gaza. One was Haim Katzman, a peace activist who was shot and killed while sheltering in a closet in Kibbutz Holit as CNN reported. Katzman had testified about his experience in the Israeli Defense Forces as part of the Breaking the Silence project and had spent time protecting Palestinian farmers in the South Hebron Hills, which are occupied by Israel according to The Guardian. His sibling, Noy Katzman, has been outspoken about ensuring that the manner of his brother's death doesn't overshadow how he lived his life. Quote, Do not use our death and our pain to bring the death and pain of other people and other families, Noy Katzman said at his brother's funeral, as The Guardian reported. I have no doubt that even in the face of Hamas people that murdered him, he would still speak out against the killing and violence of innocent people. The Refuser Solidarity Network, a group offering support to people who refuse to participate in the Israeli occupation of the Palestinian territories, has sponsored a campaign by Israeli human rights groups calling for the release of hostages and an end to the bombing of Gaza. As part of this, the group has started an account on the social media site formerly known as Twitter, sharing testimonies like Noi Katzman's and Zygen's under the banner of Voices Against War. One of the voices featured on their feed is Maoz Inan, whose parents were killed in the Hamas attack. Quote, 
I'm not crying for my parents, he told BBC News in an interview. I'm crying for those who are going to lose their life in this war. Inan called on viewers to put pressures on leaders in a position of power to stop the fighting. This is why it was so important to me in this very hard time to go on this interview and to cry to the world, stop the war, please just stop the war. Rami El-Hanan, who has relatives who survived the attack on Kibbutz Barry and whose daughter Samadar was killed by a Hamas suicide bomb 26 years ago, said in a video that the Israeli occupation, quote, creates this endless cycle of violence. We have to find a way to share this land, he said, as one state or two states or 10,000 states. Otherwise, we will have to share it as two huge graveyards for our children in the generations to come. And that'll wrap up this episode of You Can't Be Neutral and special episode of People Are Revolting. You can check out all the back episodes of You Can't Be Neutral at youcan'tbeneutral.com to uh, catch episodes and news about all of my podcasts. You can follow me in the Fediverse at Moving Train Media at collectiva.social. And you can listen to this podcast and all my podcasts playing 24-7 at movingtrainradio.com. And now here is Scott Free in our moment of Zen. This is a Palestinian in Gaza. Thanks for listening. Head. You will be shot. Can you imagine being a Palestinian? Can you imagine being a Palestinian?